that story uh, portrayed for you is, is what really happened. Uh, one of the, the prodigal portrayed in that story is my nephew Luke. Um, just even the scene where Matthew came out and had to sit in his seat because his brother was gone. And uh, had to take the role of a, a big brother. Had to step into a place that was missing. It was no longer there in his family. Because he was gone. Uh, there's all kinds of hurt that happens in families. All kinds of hurt that happens. Uh, sometimes it's because of things and dynamics that are going on in the family. Sometimes the hurt is because of what's happening in the church. What's been done to those people in the church. And... Sometimes uh, it's a combination of those things, or things that happen just in life, hard circumstances. There's a story that Jesus told, and he told three stories. They're in Luke 15, and I wasn't planning on sharing this, but I just... There's three stories, the story of a lost coin, the story of a, of a lost coin, lost sheep, and a lost son. A lost coin... The coin didn't know it was lost. And it didn't know how to get back home. In the second story of the lost sheep. The sheep knew it was lost, but didn't know how to get back home. In the last story of the prodigal son, he knew he was lost. He also knew how to get back home. But there had to be something that happened here before he wanted to go back home. And I really believe that uh, some of that want to, uh, some of that has to do with some of the words that they need to hear, some of the things that need to be said. And that's what today is about. And uh, there's some words, two important words, and it's just forgive us. Two so very big important words. And, and I, I, I just want to uh, take just a moment to preface this time, just to set up this moment before I say all those words of forgive us for this, forgive us for that. And I just want to say I, I recognize uh, who's here in this room. And I know that some of the hurt that's already been done, I've already heard some of your stories. And I'm so glad that you're here today to hear this. But I, I want you to know, and, and especially for those who might be here for the first time, I want you to know my heart and know um, that I'm not coming from an angry place. This isn't a protest. This isn't a, anything like that. I, I want you to know that I believe that there is a, a worldwide uh, community of people who have put their trust in Jesus Christ as Lord. And I believe that this community is the invisible church, the body of Christ. I believe in that. I also believe in the visible community of Christ followers who make up the local church and who are not defined by a building or a meeting time. And I believe that the church is built upon Jesus Christ and it is His church and that He is the builder of it. I believe the church was started by the Father's plan. It was, it was is issued by Jesus' commands and it was it's been it's established by the Holy Spirit's empowering. I believe the church was made to prevail and that there have been great moments in the past and present when the church has truly shined and has been all it was meant to be. I believe that. I really do. And I believe that the Lord deeply loves His church and desires to work through his church to accomplish his mission. A mission that involves demonstrating mercy and grace, the forgiveness of sins. Because God loves the church. And because he loves the church, I, I love the church. 
So I just, I just want you to know that before we go into this. And, and the big thing here, then I'll, while we're kind of gathered and focused today, is because also I know that the church is made up of people and that people have uh, people who have failed, failed miserably in the past and in the present. And I know that, that we've failed in that way too. No, we've only existed for a little while, but I know we've already let people down. We've already hurt people. And today, the church needs to apologize. Today is a, a day to name our wrongs and to ask for, ask for forgiveness, not demand it. Not demand it, but ask forgiveness from those we've wronged, hurt, or sinned against. And uh, for those of you who have just maybe become Christ followers and have just become a part of this, this local church, I know that you sense a newness and a freshness here in this local church, this, this small part of the global church, the body of Christ. And I want you to know that that freshness and that freedom that you sense is real. It is real. And you're part of a new thing God is doing. And I want you to know that what I'm sharing today, you're innocent of. You know, you, you just joined, okay? You just got a part of this, of being part of the body of Christ. And so I don't want you to feel guilty for things you haven't done, okay? But I just, I want you to know that you've joined some Christ followers who've been around for a while. And in the past, we haven't represented Jesus Christ very well. And you've also become a part of this church. And in the past, there's a long history with the church. And the church has made some very serious mistakes. Things that offend God and things that have hurt people. And, and the Bible calls that sin. And one of the things that Christ followers need to become good at is the practice of humbly confessing and repenting of our sins. Just admitting it, saying that we've done it and, and to, be, to have sorrow in our heart and to walk away from it. And that's really just naturally hard for all of us just because of our pride, our human pride. So let me, let me just set this up with three snapshots here for you. Uh, one snapshot is from a, a, a present day college campus. The other two snapshots are from biblical scenes. Uh, and I just want to kind of share with you why would we do something like this. I know some of you who maybe are churchgoers are just kind of scratching your head like, why, why do we need to say sorry? What, what, what for? And so I just want to make sure you understand what we're doing here, okay? Several years ago at uh, Reed College in Portland, Oregon, a significant thing happened at a yearly Renaissance festival. Uh, the college was described by Princeton Review as the college where students would most likely ignore God. And uh, what they would do once a year is they'd shut down their campus and students would turn it into a giant party scene where most people would get pretty drunk, high, or naked uh, during that week. And uh, it was such a thing that, that they would even block off the campus uh, with um, barricades and they'd bring in ambulances just to be there just in case and paramedics uh, just for those who would overdose. I mean, that's just the way it was. A Christian campus group that was led by Don Miller decided to come out of hiding and let everybody know that there were a few Christians on the campus. And uh, they, thought it would be, they thought they'd be a bit playful, and uh, so they dressed up like monks, and they set up a confessional booth. And the only catch was they were not receiving confessions of sin, but instead they were confessing their sins and the sins of the church 
to those who came. Don Miller wrote about this experience uh, with the first student that walked into this booth, and he shares the student's bewilderment as Don explained that the student didn't need to confess. And, and I just wanted to share this story with you and the way he wrote it. What's up, man? Duder sat himself on the chair with a smile on his face, and he told me, my pipe smelled good. Thanks, I said. I asked him his name, and he said his name was Jake. I shook his hand because I didn't know what to do, really. So what's this? Am I supposed to tell you all, all the juicy gossip I did at Ren Fair, right? Jake said, no. Okay, then what? What's the game? He asked. Not really a game. It's uh, more of a confession thing. Oh, so you want me to confess my sins, right? No, that's, that's not what we're doing. Well, what's the deal, man? What's with the monk outfit? Well, we are, well, a group of Christians here on campus, you know. I see. Strange place for Christians, but I'm listening. Thanks, I said. He's being patient and gracious. Anyway, there's this group, just a few of us who are thinking about the way Christians have sort of wronged people over time. You know, the, the Crusades and all that stuff. Well, I, I, I doubt you personally were involved in any of that, man. No, no, I wasn't, I told him. But the thing is, we're, we're followers of Jesus. We believe that God, he, that he is God and all, and he represented certain ideas that we have sort of not done a good job of representing. He has asked us re, to re represent him well, but it can be very hard. There's a lot, so I'll keep it short. I started. Jesus said to feed the poor and heal the sick, and I've never done very much about that. Jesus said to love those who persecute me. I tend to lash out, especially if I feel threatened. You know, if my ego gets threatened. Jesus did not mix his spirituality with his politics. I grew up doing that. It got in the way of the central message of Christ. I know that was wrong, and I know that a lot of people will not listen to the words of Christ because people like me who know him carry our own agendas into the conversation rather than just relaying the message of Christ wanted to get across. There's a lot more, you know. It's all right, man, Jake said very tenderly. His eyes were starting to water. Well, I said, clearing my throat, I'm sorry for all that. I forgive you, Jake said, and he meant it. Thanks, I told him. He sat there and looked at the floor and into the fire of a candle. It's really cool what you guys are doing, he said. A lot of people need to hear this. Have we hurt a lot of people? I asked him. You haven't hurt me. I just think it isn't very popular to be a Christian, you know, especially at a place like this. I don't think too many people have been hurt. Most people just have a strong reaction to what they see on television. All these well-dressed preachers supporting Republicans. Well, that's not the whole picture, I said. That's just television. I have friends who are giving their lives to feed the poor and defend the defenseless. And they're doing it for Christ. You really believe in Jesus, don't you? He asked me. Yes, I think I do. Most often I do. I have doubts at times, but mostly I believe in Him. It's like there's something in me that, that causes me to believe. I can't explain it. You said earlier there was a central message of Christ. I don't really want to become a Christian, you know, but what is that message? The message is that man sinned against God and God gave the world over to man. And that if somebody wanted to be rescued out of that, if somebody, for instance, finds it all empty, 
that Christ will rescue them if they want. That if they ask forgiveness for being a part of that rebellion, then God will forgive them. So what is the deal with the cross? Jake asked. Well, God says the wages of sin is death, I told him. And Jesus died on that cross so that none of us would have to. If we have faith in that, then we are Christians. So this is why people wear crosses? I guess. I think it's sort of fashionable. Some people believe that if they have a cross around their neck or tattooed on them or something, it has some sort of mystical power. Do you believe that? Jake asked. No, I answered. I, I told him that I thought mystical power came through faith in Jesus. What do you believe about God? I asked him. I don't know. I guess I didn't believe for a long time, you know. The science of it is so sketchy. I guess I believe in God, though. I believe somebody is responsible for all this, this world we live in. It's all very confusing. Jake, if you want to know God, you can. I'm just saying, if you ever want to call on Jesus, He'll be there. Thanks, man. I believe that you mean that. His eyes were watering again. This is cool what you guys are doing, he repeated. I'm going to tell my friends about this. I don't know whether to thank you for that or not, I laughed. I have to sit here and confess all my crap. He looked at me very seriously. It's worth it, he said. He shook my hand, and when he left the booth, there was somebody else ready to get in. It went like that for a couple of hours. I talked to about 30 people, and Tony took confessions on the picnic table outside the booth. Many people wanted to hug when we were done. All the people who visited the booth were grateful and gracious. I was being changed through the process. I went in with doubts and came out believing so strongly in Jesus, I was ready to die and be with Him. Today, right here, right now, as a church leader, I want to say those two important words, forgive me, words that should have been said by others in the past, but I'll say in their place. I want to confess my own sins and the sins of those before me. You know, Jake brought up a good point. I'm sure you weren't personally involved with a lot of those past sins of the church. You know, it's true. But there are some biblical examples, and there's precedent set by some leaders who confessed the sins of their generation, past generations. And when they themselves had not been personally involved. Nehemiah is one of those leaders. It's recorded twice in the scriptures where Nehemiah not only confessed his own sins, but the sins of his father's generation and his own generation. Nehemiah did this once by himself in prayer, and another time while he was leading a city prayer gathering. So what I'm doing here today isn't totally out of line. I mean, there's precedent for this. The third snapshot that I want to give you is from the, the biblical story of Jonah. And you may have heard the kid version of the story about Jonah, but let me tell you about the biblical story with all the adult themes in it. You see, God told Jonah to go to the, to the city-state of Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian people, and to tell them to turn away from themselves, from their sin, or else be destroyed by God. And Jonah, you know, you know the story, he ran away and got swallowed by a well, that sort of thing. But Jonah, we may think that he was afraid, and that was the main point. And he may have been afraid to do this job. I mean, nobody would like the idea of standing up and telling people, a large group of people, that they, they're messed up and they're sinners. But it wasn't just about being afraid. The people of Nineveh were the enemies of Israel, Jonah's country. Jonah wasn't just afraid of them. He hated them. He didn't want to be near them. In fact, he wanted to get a far, 
as far away from those downtown city freaks of Nineveh so much that he got on a ship to get away from the place where God had told him to go. And on the ship, he was surrounded by a bunch of people that were not like him. There were sailors that hailed from all different regions with all kinds of strange customs and manners, language, and religions. And Jonah didn't like these people that were different. And so he went down below the deck to get away from them. And he fell asleep into a deep sleep. And it says in Jonah chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. Such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Then in verse 6 it says, The captain went to him, went to Jonah, and said, How can you sleep? Get up! Call on your God! Maybe he'll take notice of this. And we'll not perish. We won't die. You know what? This has been the story for the majority of the American church for the past 50 years. We've retreated from those unlike us and we've fallen asleep in our little place below deck. And while we're safely asleep, those, we, those we've retreated from, they're in the face of fierce storms of life and they're doing the only thing they know how, crying out to their gods when we know good and well that Jesus Christ is the only real help in the midst of a storm. You know what? It's time to wake up. It's time for all hands on deck. No more sleeping in the midst of the storm. Our neighbors, our work associates, our fellow students, our city is crying out in the midst of a storm. Right here, right now, in this day and age, in this city of Asheville. You know, the famous part of the story with the whale and all, but do you know the end of the story? Jonah asks God to forgive him for being disobedient. And he does go, and he does tell the Assyrian people of Nineveh to recognize their sin and turn to God. Jonah tells the 300,000 people in the city, which, which is a little bigger than the metro Asheville area. And he tells all the people in the city that it's going to be destroyed in 40 days. And the Bible says that the Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to least, put on sackcloth, which is just a sign of mourning, like people wear black at funerals today. And, and the king of Nineveh tells everyone to urgently call on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from His fierce anger so that we will not perish. So the whole city, the whole city acknowledges their sin, and they turn to God. And you know what Jonah does? He gets mad. He gets mad. He gets mad because he wanted to see the Assyrians in Nineveh, his enemies, get blasted by God. He, he didn't want them to repent. He wanted them to die. He wanted to see God do what he said, he, what he had told Jonah he was going to do, destroy him. But they repented. They turned to God. They believed. Yeah, Jonah repented for not originally going to Nineveh. But Jonah never understood God's heart for the Ninevites. Jonah's heart hadn't become compassionate like God's heart. And that's how the story ends. That's how the story ends. It's not a happy ending. Because the hero or the anti-hero of the story, Jonah, winds up remaining a hard-hearted man. So here's the point. 
I, I think if church people, we see ourselves as, as Jonah, we need to wake up. And we need to gain a compassionate heart like our Lord's. I think if you're outside the church, if, you, if you're not a believer, not a Christ follower, I'd like you also to picture yourself as Jonah as I kind of change this metaphor here. The, the church is like Nineveh. The church is like Nineveh. We've been bad, and you, like Jonah, have been able to point out correctly where we've been bad, where the church has been bad. But today, like Nineveh, we, the church, want to give up our evil ways. We want to turn to God. And you know what? God, He's willing to forgive us. And what I, I hope, I hope that today you won't take the path of Jonah's ending. Please don't let bitterness take you down. Don't let bitterness harden your heart and unforgiveness take you down. Like the king of Nineveh, I don't expect forgiveness. None of us do. We don't demand forgiveness, but I do hope for it. I know that you may not be able to say those words today. I know that you may not be able to say, I forgive you. I forgive you church people. I forgive the church. But I hope in the next few minutes, you'll hear the words that you've been longing to hear from church people. I was wrong. I hurt you. I sinned against you when I did this. I'm sorry. Truly sorry. Forgive me. So this is it. I'm going to name our sins. And as, as I name them, you might recognize some sins and, and that were committed against you. And, you know, it might be, it might, some of you might have been leaders in the church that have been hurt and wounded by the church. And you've been taken down. And I just want you to know this is for you too. But as a symbol of the kindness that's in our hearts and the symbol of God's kindness towards you, I hope what you'll do is, is you'll take a symbol of that. And, and we have some symbols here for you today. And again, I'm not saying that you're ready to say, I forgive you or, or anything like that. But just to say, I heard it and I think I'm on the path back. And, and these symbols are, there's a, these broken pieces of tile. And uh, with these broken pieces, it's kind of like our lives sometimes. They get broken and hurt. And uh, we're sitting over here on this table. What we'd like to do is, for people who have been hurt, feel like this is a moment where God is maybe put you in a place where maybe you, you're moving towards forgiveness. Is that... Uh, you would take this tile and write your name on the back of it. And uh, nobody will see it but you and God. And uh, our artists in our church are going to put it together in a mosaic. And it's a picture of what God can do with our brokenness, and our hurt, and our pain, when there is forgiveness, when there is love. So that mortar and stuff that's going to hold this broken pieces together is going to make a beautiful picture again. And that's the hope that I want to offer you today. Is that though you've been hurt, though you've been wounded, maybe you're down and out right now, I know that God can bring you back to a place where He can make something beautiful out of broken pieces in your life. And so, these pieces are over there. And uh, also, there's, uh, there's also some smaller pieces. They're uh, little pieces of stained glass. If you'd like to take one, you can, they're in a bowl over here. You can just take it and put it in your pocket. 
take it up. Take it home with you. And uh, be careful that it just aren't still kind of dark. Uh, but there are reason in your pocket to feel that. You just know that those words, those words were said to you. Forgive me. And that's God's heart towards you. So here are the words that need to be said. And these are the words for you. Forgive us. Forgive us for our arrogance instead of humility. Forgive us for our unfaithfulness to live out the message of Christ with love. We're sorry. Forgive us. Forgive us for our pious holier-than-thou attitude when our lives are just as messed up as others. Forgive us for not allowing our faith to shape our words and our actions. We're sorry for not reflecting God's most prominent character traits, His love and His holiness. Forgive us for hoarding grace to ourselves instead of passing it on. Forgive us for taking care of ourselves and not investing anything in the world. We have not been kingdom bringers. We're sorry for upholding tradition over the word of God. Forgive us for hanging on to our status quo. Forgive us for pointing out the failures of the world, but not seeing the faults and the flaws and the collapse within the church. We have proven the stereotype that we are hypocrites. We've proven it. And we're sorry. Forgive us. Forgive us for our vicious response to political leaders who fail morally. We have stunk at speaking the truth in love. Forgive us for surrounding and insulating ourselves with people who think and believe just like us. Continually widening the gap between us and the world that we're called to love. Forgive us for acting like we got it all figured out because we don't. Forgive us for pursuing self-interest, comfort, and personal pleasure instead of pursuing God and serving our community. We've been selfish. We're sorry. Forgive us. Forgive us for not giving generously to those who are in tremendous need. We apologize for the televangelists. Forgive us for not keeping them in check and curbing them. Forgive us for the sins of our leaders who have preached abstinence and then sexually abused children and the weak. We're so sorry. Please forgive us. Forgive us for our church leaders who manipulated and spiritually abused people within their congregations. I'm so sorry that some of you have had to experience that. We confess our pride and competitiveness among our own churches instead of rejoicing in the gifts and rejoicing in the strengths and successes of others. We confess 
trying to communicate and experience with Christ when we have not really experienced Christ ourselves. Forgive us. We confess our laziness. We have lived as though there is nothing great to live for. Forgive us. Forgive us for our resistance to transformation of our lives by Jesus. Choice by choice, we have lost the respect of outsiders. In our selfishness, we have misrepresented Jesus in the city of Asheville. We're sorry. Please forgive us. Forgive us for totally ignoring, neglecting, and losing contact with Generation X and the Millennials, all those who have followed the baby boomers. Forgive us for caring more for outside appearances than the heart of the matter. Forgive us for getting in the way of people honestly searching for God. We've been just like the Pharisees, making grace hard to find. Forgive us for saying all the right things, but never having a heart that loves the right things. Forgive us for presenting empty rituals and not the heart of God. Forgive us for putting on a religious show and ignoring the marginalized and brokenhearted of society. And I know that's some of you here. Forgive us. Forgive us for not loving our enemies. Forgive us for pushing our agendas instead of pushing the central message of Jesus. We're truly sorry for that. Please forgive us. Please. The church, we don't want to repeat these sins. This local body here, we don't want, we don't want to repeat that. We don't want to do that. We want to learn how to be better Christ followers. We really do. We want to be genuine. We want to be authentic. And we want to be better representatives of Jesus right here in this city. Those are the words that we need to say. And I know that um, there's maybe some time that, that needs to sink in. There's time that maybe that needs to kind of, you need to reflect on that. Right now, uh, guys, I, I think they're going to be playing some music. And as they do that, um, I want to give you a chance to, if you want to, again, you don't have to. Again, we're not demanding uh, this is asking. But I know sometimes people just, you need to somehow physically respond. You just don't, it's not all a mental process for you. And so uh, while the song's playing, you can go up, if you like, grab one of these ceramic pieces, write your name on it, the date, just to say, God, I, I heard the words from those people, from your church people. And to say, I think, I think I'm back on a path, possibly, where I can forgive. Maybe some of you are like, I'm there. 
you said the words, I know you meant it. I, I do, I forgive those people. I forgive the hurts that have been done against me. But I know that sometimes forgiveness isn't always immediate. So that's all right, okay? I know some of you, so you can go up and do that. You can grab one of those little pieces that was in that, that little bowl over there, put it in your pocket, just to contemplate, reflect. Maybe some of you just, you just need to tell your story. You need to verbalize the hurt that was done to you. And I, I just say, I got a listening ear. I got two of them. Um, some of our other leaders will make themselves available. We'll be over here. And if you just need to talk, and maybe it's the kind of thing where it's like, hey, this is going to take a long time because there's been a lot of hurt done. And so uh, let's go get coffee, whatever. Let's, let's uh, have lunch sometime this week. Um, I think it's important for you to tell your story and to name the hurts, name the wrongs, so that you can assess the damage that was done. Because once you assess the damage, then you can truly look at, can I forgive that? It's just reality. So that's what's laid out before us right now. I just want to take it's just the length of this song. Uh, just a chance for those who want to respond in that way you can. And then I'll come back up and I'll just close this in prayer. And uh, that'll be it. All right? All right, here we go.